The market doesn't joke around, so why would you? Get serious. Choose Tasty Trade. Tasty Trade gives you the tools you need to make smarter moves. Dig into data with advanced charting, track profit accurately with order chain trackers, see risk clearly with curve analysis, and trade with low-capped commissions, stocks, options, futures, and more. All on one platform. No wonder serious traders choose Tasty Trade. Join the club, genius. Tasty Trading is a registered broker-dealer and member of FINRA and SIPC. I'm Julia Borston, and you're listening to CNBC's Tech Check. Our show is live weekdays at 11 a.m. Eastern. Listen in. Hey, welcome to Tech Check. I'm John Fort with Paul Quintanilla back again and Deirdre Bosa. Today, Meta named the top pick. Microsoft downgraded. We debate if any of these fang calls have teeth. Plus, a Salesforce surge on labor pains. Details on Benioff's plan to cut a tenth of his workforce. And later, will Jeff Bezos pull an Iger? The analyst behind a shocking opinion on a second round as Amazon CEO. Carl, I don't think so. We'll We'll find out. Find out what they mean. We want to kick things off, though, this morning with two big calls on the street today. A buy call on Meta and a downgrade of Wall Street darling Microsoft. Let's begin with Meta, giving you a little context on where this stock has been recently. To say it's seen its resurgence would be an understatement. It went from Wall Street dud to a Wall Street favorite, rallying 40 percent in the past two months. As TikTok comes under further, further scrutiny and Wall Street sees some green shoots, stock got upgraded to buy a J.P. Morgan, named a top pick for the year at Stiefel, Baird, City and Goldman, and today New Street initiating it with a buy. Why all the optimism? Well, analysts are citing everything from increased cost discipline to a real rebuild of the ad platform, improvements in engagement, and the general idea that the negativity is getting priced in. Let's bring in New Age Wealth Advisors co-founder, CNBC contributor Todd Gordon. Talk more about it, Todd. Uh, the Stiefel note is interesting because they argue that the Apple privacy changes are getting absorbed. They see TikTok as a threat may fade later in the the year. Are those, is that Pollyanna or not? Yeah, I think so. I think it's taking the, the, the regulatory focus and, and obviously Meta is trying to reinvent itself and the focus seems to be uh, on TikTok, obviously being pulled off of government devices. And I think it gives um, Meta some some breathing room to operate, re-engage uh, in the advertising space with small and medium businesses. And I still, as a small and medium business, I guess I'm a smaller business, where am I going to go to advertise? It's not Snapchat. It's not Pinterest. Meta continues to be the, the only place I think that um, small businesses can go and develop an online community and focus their advertising dollars. Um, you know, it was a top 10 holding the S&P. Now it's about 22. Still has a lot of cash. It's got 180 billion in assets on the balance sheet. It's got 42 billion in cash. I think it has some freedom to, to maneuver with that. It's only trading 16 times uh, next year's earnings. Uh, they're looking at the streets expecting about $7.95 next year. Expectations are way down. Um, and I am, believe it or not, I do think we will adopt into the metaverse as they're going. That's interesting. You know, one of the bull threads in the last couple of quarters was that uh, their operating expense guide would later be moderated a bit. They're, they wouldn't be as draconian uh, in terms of spending as they were seen a couple of uh, months ago. Uh, and that maybe the metaverse bet uh, might be lessened and, and they might for- focus more short term on things like reels. But you want to see them go for that longer term moonshot? 
I, you know, I do, but I think I think Zuckerberg has managed expectations well. I mean, they came out and they said they were going to spend ten billion. I think it came in relatively close to that. Their margins, their gross margins, are still like eighty percent. Their operating is at thirty. I mean, I think Zuckerberg is delivering. He was very clear. And if you go back and look at you know some of the uh, the all the um, I would say underground social media kind of podcasts and things he did, he he advertised this well before the street ever got hold that he was going to make an investment in this. And I think he's I think he's managed expectations. I do think in this new reality, I can send a TV signal to you guys right here from upstate New York. We are going to continue to live online. I think the metaverse only will enhance that. I think he's managing spending well. He's got a lot of cash. He's just got to be strategic in his acquisitions. The question is, can he can he thread the needle with bringing on the right hardware? They're not a hardware company. They're trying to compete against Apple. That's going to be the biggest challenge. But I. I do think we are going to go there. Is it going to be next year? Probably not. Five, ten years from now. And is it going to be Zuckerberg's metaverse? We'll see. Um, Todd, while we have you, though, I want to get you on Microsoft. Unlike Meta, it has been a safe or at least a more stable place to hide for tech investors over the last year or so. UBS downgrading the stock to neutral, though, from buy and cutting its price target over worries that its cloud business could nosedive. Azure growth has been decelerating, and the bank believes an economic slowdown uh, could slow down Office 365 subscriptions. And that's not to mention its ongoing legal battles over its $69 billion bid for Activision Blizzard. Todd, there was a piece of this note that I thought was really interesting. Um, it talked about, yes, the macro backdrop is going to be challenging, but it also raised the idea that maybe the market is maturing. Um, how do you see cloud? Is it possible that it's maturing? What does that mean for Microsoft and the other hyperscalers? Yeah, you know, I read the I read the report and it was very interesting. Uh, and I should should let you know, Microsoft is a top three holding in both of my wealth management portfolios. Um, the, the whole report and downgrade was predicated on the idea that sort of the second gen impl implementation of more advanced corporate co cloud solutions was here. And being that people are more cost conscious, people are reducing headcount, um, that they're going more to the to the social cloud rather than the private individual interpretation. Mm -hmm. Sorry, my earpiece is falling off here. Um, so there's a I think that's a little bit of a, of a reach. I think a lot of the uh, a lot of the headcount reduction has been uh, has played out. There's a lot of obviously uh, reduction in, in forward earnings and 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 spend. Um, you know the valuation I think is is interesting. They came out and they actually were ahead of the street. You know revenues I think for 2024 the streets at 241. They're at UBS is at 243. EPS, the streets at 1114, they're at 1127. So it's all predicated on the slower adoption of the cloud, but it's not just Microsoft. I mean, Microsoft doesn't have anywhere near the uh, cloud share that AWS has, right? Um, right. AWS is 16%, where uh, you know, Microsoft is more than that. Uh, and they're trying to extrapolate the cloud slowdown from Amazon, but Amazon's got its own issues, razor thin margins on their on their mm -hmm. retail, on their on their um, online business. So it's, I don't think that's a fair comparison. Um, Amazon's growing their software services. They're outpacing Oracle SAP. Uh, they still have video games, as you mentioned. And on a technical perspective, Microsoft is actually on a relative rotation basis, showing more strength here than tech via XLK as well as the Q. So we're actually seeing some technical strength here. I don't quite see this this downgrade. I hope, hope that makes sense. Well, so so Todd, if, if cloud is decelerating perhaps more than the market thinks, um, yes, it's the number two player, so perhaps more room to grow than, say, an AWS. But 
We talked about Meta and advertising. Amazon's getting into advertising. Microsoft as well. Also video games. So is there anything that you think could sort of pick up the slack if we do see cloud slow more than expected next year? Right. I mean, again, if, it, if the focus on growth is going to come off the cloud and specifically we're going back to the meta conversation. Yeah, you can go you can go and online. You can advertise as a small medium business on different social porters, portals. But again, the fact that we are moving towards living our life online and commencing business online, you still have to develop that community. And I understand they're having some struggles with Instagram and Facebook with reels and, and getting through all that. But I don't know. I think they're kind of enjoyable. I've been known to waste a little bit of time there. I mean, you're seeing advertising <laughs> and we're seeing conversion of business. I, I don't Reels waste much TikTok? time, but so I think they're uh, no TikTok, which, which no one? TikTok, uh, no. Okay. On, uh, on Instagram. Well, and, and I've been known to, to, to convert a sale from the Instagram reels. I don't, I think it was, uh, mm -hmm. it was a shock when they first adopted. And uh, I think there's still areas to monetize in there. And I think there's still room to grow in there. All right. Well, we'll agree to disagree. I'm, I'm still not into the Instagram reels, but all right. Maybe I'll give it a shot. You're not? Todd Gordon, thanks very much. <laughs> nope. Thanks, guys. Uh, TikTok go, all the way. I hate to say it. Just go. Oh, TikTok. Well, all right. That's another discussion. Let's talk Salesforce. It is up this morning after announcing a major restructuring plan. That company is going to incur as much as $2.1 billion in charges, lay off about 10% of staff. Co-founder and for now co-CEO, soon sole CEO, Mark Benioff, put the blame on himself in a letter to employees writing, quote, as our revenue accelerated through the pandemic, we hired too many people and I take responsibility for that. Salesforce's move comes after a spate of tech layoffs in the past several months. Even companies that haven't cut yet seem to be scrutinizing their productivity. That's a bit of a euphemism these days, including Google, which is implementing a new review system for employees that'll place 6% of staff, about 10,000 employees, in a lower performance tier versus 2% before. Easier to lay people off after low performance. Now, a big explanation for the layoffs has been pandemic overhiring. Meta, Amazon, Salesforce all added tens of thousands of employees to their headcounts since the beginning of the pandemic and say now... It is time to tighten the belt. The D, here's the thing. The reason this is important for investors isn't raw job loss. Um, job loss matters immensely at the personal level, but on stock level, it doesn't. I, I think the reason this matters is margin compression. What this signals is that these companies don't expect revenue growth yeah. to continue at the level to support the growth in costs that they've already incurred. So the question is, are they cutting enough now that that's going to come into balance throughout uh, the coming year? The issue to me seems to be a lot of these cuts were to get in line with what already didn't happen in 2022. If things slow further in mm -hmm. 23, then that could be bad. So these cuts could be a canary in the coal mine. It's not like it, it affects the overall unemployment rate. Right. And I think what you're getting at, too, is earnings expectations for the year ahead. Many have said that that is a big risk. Have they come down enough? What has Starboard called it uh, in terms of Salesforce? A subpar mix of growth and profitability. Um, so getting that efficiency online. However, John and Carl, I would argue the big, big, big picture for tech is the Fed and the trajectory of interest rate hikes. And therefore, labor is the most important thing. And Carl, tech layoffs make up such a tiny percentage. What, 2% of all jobs? So this isn't going to move the needle. And what is going to drive tech? 
the year forward, what the Fed does with those interest rates. And that's dependent on the labor market, jobs and services, doctors, lawyers that aren't captured by the stock market. Yeah, I love that chart. We had up oh, just a moment ago, not for not for long enough, but it takes me back to that call. Remember, guys, Goldman did that piece about there it is about the people in IT and in technology uh, basically arguing you could let them all go and it still would have a, mm-hmm. a negligible effect on the overall employment rate. The kind of thing that, as John points out, the Fed wants to see go up. Yeah, but, you know, it, it'll have a appreciable effect on tech stock prices. Which is what I think we're talking about here. Not the. I mean, can you trade the the unemployment rate? I mean, that's kind of that's kind of hard. But well, but you know, based on margins, these stocks do move, and I don't think the Fed has as much to do with what's going to happen this year as actual results. I think there's a shift coming. The economy is going to matter, and individual company results are going to matter more than the direction of of rates. We'll see. Hmm. Uh, we'll see. It's going to be fascinating uh, f- a few months, that's for sure. Coming up this hour, uh, bull calls for Alphabet and Spotify, plus more optimism for China Tech on a day where that's performing pretty well. Still a lot more tech check is ahead. Stay with us. What does it mean to be rich? Is it having more stories to share or time to give? Is it being able to keep your loved ones close or travel somewhere far away? At Edward Jones, we believe the key to being rich is knowing what counts. Your dedicated financial advisor will take a comprehensive approach to your financial strategy to help support what truly matters to you. EdwardJones.com slash findyourrich. Edward Jones, member SIPC. Welcome to the Canva guided meditation for stress at work. Impending deadline? Generate Canva presentations in seconds. So fast. Brainstorm got too big? Summarize with AI in a click. Writer's block. Release with Canva Magic Write. Magical. Stress less and save time at canva.com. Designed for work. Dow's up 90 this morning. Let's get a gut check on some China names. A number of uh, China tech jumping higher this morning after Ant Group received approval for a capital raise, a sign of progress on the regulatory front in China. Stocks including Alibaba, Pinduoduo, JD.com having a pretty good start to the year, extending that rally from yesterday. In just two days, the K-Web's up 12% and the iShares China large cap ETF up 7% D. Uh, Pretty interesting. And I know something you covered earlier this morning with specific uh, implications for Ant. Well, here's the question. Okay, Ant Financial or Ant Group, as it's called now, is getting closer to an IPO once again. What is it going to go public at? This is a company that was once valued at, I think, $300 billion. Um, Really a darling, such a huge player in the Chinese market. That smackdown from Beijing didn't just shelve its IPO, John, but also really hurt the business. So what does it go public at if it's less than $300 billion? If it's a fraction of that, I mean, it really shows you what Beijing can do if it turns the regulators onto companies, which I know I say this time and time again, it really begs the question, are any Chinese tech companies really safe? The bigger they get, the more data they get, the more tension they get from Beijing. Yeah, I think that's exactly the right question. I'm not sure that this surge signals a shift in the overall China narrative versus just another chapter, you know, of course, with, with the perhaps regulatory cooling, uh, you know, stocks continuing to list here and instead of dual listing in Hong Kong, uh, it's going to be a long year. We'll see. Meanwhile, automaker Stellantis, already a big player in electric vehicle development, is branching out now 
into EV tolls, upping its investment in Archer Aviation. Our Phil LeBeau is in San Francisco with the CEOs of both companies in a CNBC exclusive. Phil. Thank you, John. Joined by Carlos Tavares, the CEO of Stellantis, Adam Goldstein, the CEO of Archer. This is a partnership that you guys are announcing right here on CNBC. Stellantis is going to be taking a bigger position, if you will, in the future of Archer. You're going to be building the Midnight EV Tall back here, working with them to build that. You're also going to be extending potentially a loan to Archer in the future. Why now, Carlos? Why, why extend yourself into EV Talls when you are in the midst of, of ramping into becoming an electric vehicle company? Well, very simply. First, because Stellantis is about freedom of mobility. And uh, the Midnight aircraft is about freedom of mobility. So we are absolutely committed to deliver to our fellow citizens as many tools as possible related to protecting their freedom of mobility. So for us, this is a fantastic partnership. It's a big opportunity with a, a great uh, company uh, called Archer under Adam's uh, leadership. And we see a perfect uh, complementarity, a perfect synergy between what they are doing and what we can bring, namely, but not only on the manufacturing system. So you, while it will be their facility uh, that will be building the Midnight, you'll be the muscle behind it, correct? Absolutely. Uh, you need to understand that we are making more than half a million cars per month. More than half a million cars per month with more than 4,000 parts per car. So manufacturing and high volume manufacturing is something that uh, uh, we think we know how to do. Of course, with a lot of rigor because of all the compliances that we need to be uh, uh, delivering, so we, we feel very good about helping Archer in this in this different in this direction. Adam, you have the potential to borrow up to 150 million dollars uh, from them, provided you hit certain benchmarks over the next couple of years. Without their commitment, would you have to go and raise capital as you are trying to convert into manufacturing these EVTOLs? Yeah. So from the very beginning, Archer has always been focused on finding the most efficient path to market, and we've shown incredible progress across aircraft design. Uh, we've shown incredible progress working with the FAA towards our certification. Um, but the question now moves into scaling and manufacturing. And so it's actually an equity commitment um, from uh, Stellantis sure. that we have the ability to use to help ramp up and scale manufacturing. But if you didn't have that, would you need to raise capital? Right. So we, what we've always said from the beginning was we have enough capital to get through the certification process. And we do have a big order lined up with United. So the extra capital that Stellantis is making available to Archer really just helps accelerate and de-risks the company. Back to you, Carlos. A lot of people are going to look at this and they're going to say, I applaud what you're doing, but is this a wise use of capital, especially as we are looking at potentially a recession, which, as you know, when recessions hit, they weigh on automakers. It's fair to say that... Um uh, Stellantis and uh, the mother uh, families of Stellantis, uh, FCA from one side and PSA from the other side, have become experts in facing crisis. It's crisis after crisis after crisis after crisis. So one more crisis, okay, one more crisis, okay, that's possible. Uh, we have a very efficient shield. It's called break-even point. We have the lowest break-even point of the automotive industry in the world which means we are below 40% of break-even points. So yes, there is a crisis. Yes, there is a slowdown. We'll make it. We have absolutely all the techniques, the financial uh, robustness to face that. And that does not mean that our fellow citizens stop looking for freedom. And we are here to deliver freedom of mobility, which is safe, affordable, and clean. 
this is why this initiative makes us so happy. Adam, you, you know the history, Adam, is that certifications rarely go on time. New aircraft, it takes a long time for them to be certified. So from your perspective, do you actually expect this to be in service, commercial service in 2025? Oh yeah, we, we absolutely do. And we've seen incredible buy-in and support from the FAA. I mean, Billy Nolan was on, you know, the FAA administrator was on 60 Minutes last year in 22, talking about being able to certify these vehicles in 2024. And there's a big initiative to make sure eVTOLs are very present and widely used in the 2028 Olympics in LA. And so in order to make all that happen, we're gonna have to get to market here in 2025. And we've been making incredible progress with the FAA, and we don't see any reason why we won't be able to stay on that schedule. Adam Goldstein, CEO of Archer. Carlos Tavares, always good to talk with you, CEO of Stellantis. On a day, guys, where Stellantis is saying, look, we may be heading into a recession, and yeah, there's a lot on their plate with EV development, but they're muscling up when it comes to EV talls and assisting Archer. Back to you. Uh, great stuff from you, Phil, as always. Our Phil LeBeau, I appreciate that. Coming up next, uh, can Apple's buybacks keep investors happy during a slow growth period? We're going to debate that on the other side of this break. Stay with us. Hi, I'm Ben. I suffer from a condition called writer's block. It strikes when I'm at work. That's why I choose Canva Magic Write. It works fast, generating texts in seconds. Thanks to AI. Common side effects include increased productivity, compliments from coworkers, feelings of satisfaction. Now I can say bye-bye to writer's block. Ask your boss if Canva Magic Write is right for you at Canva.com, designed for work. Canva. Welcome back. Let's spend some time on Apple, showing signs of life this morning, but the stock is still down 30% from its all-time high back a year ago after its worst December in years. It's going to be a battle of growth questions versus buybacks. And our Steve Kovac joins us now. Steve, uh, the most important thing happening at Apple is the iPhone. Yes. And, Ever uh, heard of it? Yeah. <laughs> hey, holiday season saw supply issues based on what was happening in China with COVID, probably also demand issues in China. And now the question of what's happening uh, for well-heeled consumers around the world. So... I don't know. Analyst estimates are still pretty high right. on this thing. Price target's high. How much risk in this next and, quarter? And some price target cuts, though, including a couple fresh ones today. But, but cut to like 175. Yeah, exactly. 175, 180, <laughs> right? down from 200. And it's, and it's, at, it's what, at 127 now. Exactly. So, look, there's still a lot of optimism around here. But you're right. The iPhone is the one in question. And the uncertainty around the iPhone is in question. Look, we know that Foxconn plant that had all those shutdowns uh, late last year was is back up to about 90% capacity. So in theory, if you, you know, they could catch up to the demand. Now the question is, is the demand actually there? Right. So we that is the big question. Are people who missed out buying an iPhone in time for Christmas because they couldn't get it in time, are they willing to buy it now? Or how did they feel? Are they looking at their checking account and saying, oh my God, if a recession is coming pretty soon, should I just hold off and upgrade, you know, maybe for the iPhone 15 or 16 or, or wait and see what happens? That is the real uncertainty here, plus these easing of COVID restrictions out there in China, which, look, we know what happened when we had zero COVID in China, but Mm -hmm. now if workers get sickened, like we've seen in Shanghai with Tesla, and they have to shut down production, then it's a whole new can of worms. Right. Now, let's look at the other side of this, which is the the armor 
that Apple has against tough times. $50 billion or so in dry powder cash-wise, plus uh, cash equivalents stock. 200-something billion. Yeah, yeah. 200-something billion. Uh, it can build what it wants supply chain-wise. It can use its cash and its resources to vertically integrate to potentially boost margins in tough times. How do you think that kind of protects the, the loyalty and strength argument for Apple from here? Or, or acquire, but we know Apple doesn't like making big acquisitions. If they are making acquisitions, they're small, you know, $100 million deals, somewhere in that range. They buy themselves. Apple is, Apple's favorite thing to acquire is itself, shares of itself. And, you know, there's this, I don't think we talk about this enough, about the, the factor, the buyback factor, uh, what we saw last year. Apple was largely resistant last year among its peers to that the market falling. I think it was down 27% last year. You look at the other end of the spectrum, we have Tesla down 65% in 2022. Part of that is the strength in the consumer demand, specifically for Apple products. It was unique in that way, resistant in that way that other companies weren't, but also the buybacks. A couple 20 million or 20 billion rather a quarter in buybacks will keep investors happy. The question now is amid all this uncertainty, is it yeah. going to keep them happy enough? D, I think right, you're trying buybacks in. is an important part of the story. So, so is the potential to raise its dividend. It comes down to what is the best use of Apple's cash. As you guys are talking about, they haven't historically used it for any big acquisitions. But something interesting that's emerged over the last few years, Steve, is that Apple's using its balance sheet almost like a bank, right? It's using it to fund buy now, pay later loans. What else could it do in terms of this fintech space? And could that get investors excited in terms of perhaps the next leg of growth in that services area? Yeah, and services, D, is, is the place to look because iPhone growth has basically hit a wall and it could even just fall if we head into a recession. Talking about the services growth, fintech is the way to watch. So you, you mentioned the, um, there, in addition to that, they're also doing a high-yield savings account, Deirdre. So if you have an Apple card right. and you get the cash back 3% or whatever it is, it goes into that high-yield savings account. So, yeah, they're using their pile of cash to fund these projects. <laughs> and that's, that's an amazing thing. They're acting like <laughs> the Apple bank in a way without being uh, literally a bank. That, that other fintechs can't do at no, all. No, I mean, a firm can't a do that. A firm can't go ahead and fund this. Yeah, exactly. So that's why yeah. when they announced this be, uh, buy now, pay later thing last summer, uh, we saw a firm shares fall because, look, Apple has the cash on hand to do this. They're not going to go out and acquire a Netflix or a Disney, but they will build within their own ecosystem. Yeah. Just about nothing people have said Apple should buy should Apple have actually well, bought. Peloton, right? come yeah. on. Steve, <laughs> thank you. Thanks. Steve Kovac. Thanks, guys. Still ahead, uh, taking Apple head on, why Shopify is trying to fill the advertising void left behind by Apple's privacy push and what that means for the stock when Tech Check is back in a minute. Welcome back to Tech Check. I'm Contessa Brewer with a look at some of your other business headlines today. Mortgage rates shot up at the end of the year, pushing down mortgage demand by more than 10 percent, according to new data. Mortgage applications also ended 2022 at the lowest level since 1996. Higher rates clearly is constraining demand. The average rate on a 30-year fixed home loan today is almost 6.5%. Well, Southwest says it's making solid progress on refunds stemming from the airline's system-wide disruptions last week. It canceled more than 16,000 flights during the holidays and could end up costing the airline as much as $700 million in lost revenue and refunds. Southwest stock is down more than 15% in this last month. 
And the Federal Reserve will release the minutes from its last meeting at 2 p.m. today. The Fed raised its key rate by 50 basis points in December. And these minutes will give investors an update on how the Fed is really thinking about the fight against inflation, how it's stacking up, Carl. Contessa, thanks. Contessa Brewer this sure. morning. Uh, got 1% gains here on the S&P this morning. A nice little bounce. NASDAQ reversing its losses uh, to begin the session, hugging the flat line ahead of what may be a do-or-die jobs number on Friday. Is patience the expectation as investors await clarity from the Fed? Our next guest thinks so, but he highlights both Alphabet and Shopify as stocks to target during this uncertainty for the sector. Joining us this morning, Bespoke Investment Group's co-founder, Paul Hickey. Paul, great to see you again. Hope you had a great holiday. We talked you in too. December about some of the longer-term challenges, especially for technology. And I'm wondering if some of the headlines today sort of ratify that view for you. Yeah, so I mean, I think some of these longer-term headwinds remain in place. I mean, this morning, I think the market's rallying on the positive inflation news we saw in the um, over in Europe and as well as in the ISM manufacturing. So all signs are pointing towards lower inflation in the short term. So I think that's a help to give a a boost to uh, the market and tech in general, even after that um, initial sell-off on the, the, the stronger-than-expected JOLTS report. But I think uh, investors are just thinking ahead and, um, you know, in the short term here, breathing the sigh of relief that the inflation data was positive. But yeah, the longer term, did help this morning. as long as the Fed remains restrictive and doesn't uh, show any signs of getting off that hawkish stance, uh, it's a longer-term headwind for tech. Yeah, although uh, some are pointing out some of the resilience in the job market, at least through the lens of jolts. Um, do you think that sort of clouds the tech picture in the months to come? Yes, I mean, I, I think there's there's a lot of uncertainty. Uh, you know, the jolts number has been one strong number as far as the overall jobs picture is concerned. Um, you see continuing claims rising, even as initial claims remain low. So it's a, it's a cloudy picture. Employment is definitely slowing, though. Even the momentum of job creation has been steadily declining for the last uh, six months or so. And I think, uh, you know, the economy is showing signs of more and more signs of weakness, I think, as we see the days go by. And the question is, when does the Fed step off? Is, will it be too late? Will we already be um, at a point where the economy is uh, contracting so much that um, that it, it causes problems for, uh, you know, that, that they can't hit pivot and uh, stop the bleeding uh, quick enough? Right. Talk to me about what's interesting to you about Alphabet and Shopify, especially given all the worries about, obviously, uh, enterprise software and advertising, and then, you know, concerns about an uncertain consumer, for example, this downgraded target today. Yeah, so, I mean, tech overall, again, it's it's longer-term headwinds. The sector still trades at a premium to the market, but you want to have some exposure to the sector. It's the biggest market. It's the biggest sector in the overall market. And Alphabet... Uh, you know, you have the concerns over uh, slowdown in advertising. Uh, late last year, you had the concerns over the chat GPT being a potential Google killer. Um, you know, I think those concerns are a bit overblown. But what's interesting about Google here, Alphabet here, is it's a, they're doing something that's never done before, and that's traded a discount to the markets. Uh, IPO in 2004, it's never traded at a cheaper PE multiple than the broader market until the last few months. So. I think that reflects some of the concerns in the stock. Um, and I overall, I think, though, with the slowdown in ad spend, would I rather be in a Google or would I rather, or Alphabet, or would I rather be in some of these smaller plays? I think Alphabet is, you know, one of the, uh, you know, 
bellwethers and the blue chips in the group. So that's why we want to have exposure to uh, going forward in that stock. Right. And, and then Shopify? So Shopify is hardly a value play. Uh, it's, it's almost the complete opposite extreme of, um, of Alphabet here. But what Alphabet did is it did something earlier than, you know, we're seeing Salesforce today announce job cuts. Um, Shopify started the job cuts back in July. They announced job cuts, announcing 10% of its workforce. And now we're seeing all the other companies step in. So they've been ahead of the curve, so to speak, in that respect. Um, and the stock is so beaten down at this point. But what's really important is if you look at it over the last year, it really hasn't done anything in six months here. So whereas the NASDAQ has ultimately gone on to make the lower low in October and then another lower low in uh, December, uh, Shopify has pretty much been in a sideways range here. And what they're also trying to do here is fill a void that's been left by Apple's privacy restrictions and, and this audience's tool. Um, they're already trying to become a one-stop shop for you know retailers of all size, not just e-commerce, but also on the brick and mortar side and in fulfillment. But this audience tool is going to help, uh, hopefully, to uh, deliver more targeted ads, better targeted ads to consumers, uh, and hopefully boost sales for um, Shopify's clients using the service. Oh, pretty interesting. Two good uh, uh, names to keep an eye on. I'm digging the lava lamp. Very groovy behind you, Paul. Uh, appreciate it. Talk soon. Paul Hickey. All right, take care. Love a good lava lamp. Uh, we're going to talk more Shopify on the other side of this break and whether they can actually fill that void as Paul was talking about. Plus, take a look at shares of General Motors. The stock is at session highs after reporting that it sold 2.27 million vehicles in the U.S. last year, reclaiming the title as America's top automaker. The Nasdaq is up better than 1%. We're back in two. Let's take a closer look at Shopify, the company trying to use Apple's privacy crackdown as an opportunity the marketing tool allowing online retailers to upload customer data to Meta and Google's platforms. But our next guest is a skeptic, warning e-commerce merchants to think twice before opting in. Joining us now, big technology newsletter author and CNBC contributor, Alex Kantrowitz. Alex, what's the problem? I mean, um, Shopify has long connected merchants with Facebook, with Google, with multiple other platforms to try to get the word out. And there's been this move in first-party data, not just Shopify, but Intuit with MailChimp audience, Adobe and Experience Cloud, others trying to leverage that to help small businesses get around the roadblocks. What, what, are, the, what are the dangers? I think the answer is contained directly within your question. Shopify has long been doing this. The program that has started making headlines this week has been around since mid-2021. So I would say that if this thing was actually a game changer, we would have known about it years ago. And it, at the end of the day, I think it's insulting to Shopify small business customers to say that this is going to solve the woes with Apple. Yes, it does help targeting a little bit. It helps with targeting. But the problem with Apple's anti-tracking moves is they prevent optimization. And this doesn't solve that. And I, I just don't see how it could possibly be positioned as something that solves the Apple problem. Uh, and, and it's baffling to me that that's the way that people are looking at it. Well, I mean, it's certainly not going to solve it overnight, but isn't it ecosystems inching closer to having their data and therefore their destiny more in their own hands? Uh, because if they can put together better targeting that improves over time without having to rely on Apple's platform or Google's platform solely, then they're more in an Amazon-type position where it can run ads just within its own uh, network and not have to worry about what's happening outside. 
I'm a strong maybe on this one, John. I'll say, I'll say this. In order for this to work, it requires a pooling of data with Shopify customers. And are the most successful businesses going to want to pool their data with the less successful businesses? If I'm crushing it with my towel shop on Shopify, am I going to want less successful towel shops to now know who the customers are that are buying and let them target on other, other platforms? I mean, I think there is a reason why this has been around for a year plus. Now, of course, it's gone through testing and it's been an alpha. But there's a reason why it's been around for so long. And it hasn't taken off in a way that's meaningful. I mean, I was looking at when we first saw news of this program, uh, Shopify has since dropped 75% in the stock market. Well, so, um, again, I just don't see it as a savior. <laughs> well, but, but what will be then? We've got Salesforce and Adobe with their experience cloud type offerings. We've got Qualtrics that's trying to use all sorts of data signals to provide customers with better insight. Um, it, it's not going to be just Apple and Google going forward. I mean, Meta is, is signaling that, Facebook signaling that, trying to create an environment where it more controls its future. What do you think is going to determine which third party is going to be the, the main arms supplier to the, the small businesses that require first party data now? I mean, ultimately, commerce today is going through the mobile. And when it does that, it's going to go through the giants, the Instagrams, the TikToks, and, um, and, and other apps. And those apps are all dependent on these big mobile ecosystems. So even though it might be tempting for a Shopify or a Qualtrics to say, we're gonna move beyond the operating system, I think it really does come down to, can these operating systems protect privacy, but also make it possible for small businesses to advertise and optimize to customers? And I don't think it's a lost cause. And that's why the thing that surprised me surprises me is that companies like Shopify, for instance, we see them do these little incremental changes, but we don't really hear them advocate for their customers in a way that I think would be fitting. Where is Shopify leadership when it comes to going to Apple and saying, this is messing it up for our customers. We need help. Find a solution. Find a middle ground that you know might allow you to continue your war against Meta, but allows our, our customers to reach their customers. And, and for, for some reason, that isn't happening. And I think that's why you start to see this, this pullback. It's, it's a big problem. All right. Well, if he's not, if Tim Cook isn't listening to Zuckerberg, I'm not sure he's going to listen to Toby Lutke either, but, uh, but we'll he hates see. Zuckerberg. Alex, thank you. So Alex Cantor. There's a chance. Thank you. Coming up next, the analyst who predicted a double-digit drop in stocks last year says Jeff Bezos may be coming back to lead Amazon as CEO. He's going to join us next. Got to take a look at the markets right now. Session high. Dow's up 200-plus. Got a 1% gain on the S&P. NASDAQ up more than 1%. Uh, falling yields are a big reason. The 10-year now uh, just below uh, 3.7. Pretty much a two-week low on the 10-year yield on a closing basis. Back in a minute. Welcome back. Here's a hot take for the year ahead. Our next guest predicts Jeff Bezos, the executive chairman and founder of Amazon, could retake the CEO reins of Amazon this year, pulling a Bob Iger, removing Andy Jassy from the helm. Joining us now, Ritholtz Wealth Management Managing Partner, Michael Batnick. Michael, welcome. I don't think there's John, any way this me. happens. I, I, just, I just can't see it. So, so Andy Jassy's going to get fired for what? Well, listen... I am, first of all, I'm not, I'm not a Bezos whisperer. I'm not a text expert. I don't even necessarily know what the cloud is, but here's what I do know. Jeff Bezos is an extremely rich man who got a lot less rich last year because the company that he spent building his life is struggling big time. His net worth went from over $200 billion at the time he left 
to just over $100 billion. And I'm telling you, John, I think $100 billion is, is the line in the sand. <laughs> and this is, not, this is not without president. Bob Iger just did this. Howard Schultz has pulled this multiple times. So I think it's possible. I'm not going to like pound the table on this, but I do think it's possible that he returns to the helm to study the ship. Interesting. I mean, I guess I would argue Jeff Bezos never really left. He, he's not like chairman emeritus. He didn't turn the reins over to somebody else, leave the board. He's still, he's executive chairman. He still has kind of an operating role. Um, is your sense that Andy Jassy has done better or worse than expected? How much of this huge Amazon stock drop is about decisions made before, about um, logistics capacity, and about just the overall direction of e-commerce versus something specific that you would say Jassy's done wrong? Listen, there, there is a lot of, of cross-currents that Amazon is facing. There's no doubt about it. But Amazon, the stock fell 50% last year. Okay, so that's its worst year since 2000, obviously, when the dot-com bubble burst. It lost $840 billion in market cap last year. That's seven Starbucks, eight Intels, and 10, pe 10 PayPals. It has the um, uh, 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 unenvied uh, record of losing more than a trillion dollars in market cap, John. That has never been done. So while this is all certainly not Jassy's fault, a lot of the decisions that were put in place were there when Bezos was at the helm, uh, mm -hmm. there, is, there is some finger pointing that will go on next year, if not already. Okay, Michael, where do you point those fingers then? I know that these are very large numbers. They're historical numbers because Amazon has grown so large. But specifically, can you name any missteps, anything that you can contribute, attribute specifically to Jassy? So, yeah, like I said, a lot of this was done. The, the Rivian, the MBGM, all of that is, is pre-Jassy. And so a lot of the things that were out of their control last year, obviously the war in Europe, their international numbers were down bad. Uh, rising wage costs, their their, their SGNA expenses were up uh, a lot. A, but AWS, um, which was uh, where Jassy came from, he was the CEO of AWS, their uh, growth is the slowest that it's been since they broke that out in 2014. And that is the absolute driver of literally all of their profits. Without AWS, Amazon is still, uh, you know, uh, however many years later since its founding is still right. losing money without the crown jewel. Okay, he wasn't just the CEO of AWS, he helped create it and far ahead of when other companies started to look to cloud. So he does have some of that innovation behind him. He's also grown or at least helped grow this huge advertising and other high margin business to a $10 billion uh, business within Amazon. Streaming though, Michael, this is kind of what got Bob Chapek into trouble, right? All the money that he was pouring into that direct-to-consumer bet. And it sort of looks like Jassy's doing that as well. Do you think that this could be a vulnerable point. Again, very unlikely, but if you were a shareholder and you were going to complain, is Amazon spending too much here? Well, this is one of the tricky things because a lot of these companies uh, use their stocks as currencies for the stock-based comp, which has, which has grown massively, and not just at Amazon, but at a lot of other companies. And in 2019 and certainly in 2020, uh, streaming was the darling of Wall Street. Think about how much how much market cap was added to Disney Plus uh, to Disney since they launched Disney Plus. Netflix obviously was on was on fire, and so Amazon got in late to the game, and they're still losing money on that. And the street is has has long since soured on streaming. So I think that they're going to continue to get punished for that. They got it down. So the, the fourth quarter numbers we don't know what they're going to be yet. Um, but there 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 are a lot of headwinds facing this company. Again, it's it's certainly not all Jassy's fault. That that's ridiculous. Yeah. Well.
It is a hot take. I'm not sure we agree with it, but we'll see what happens, uh, especially with listen, the stock listen, does. Listen, Michael, listen, listen, listen. It's, it's, like it's like a 5% chance. So uh, appreciate, appreciate the time. I <laughs> got it. Meantime, guys, get a quick check on Tesla today. Stock's up about 5% this morning after that big drop yesterday. Worst drop in a couple of years. Morningstar does think the company will deliver more than 5 million vehicles by 2030. Uh, don't forget to follow and subscribe to our podcast, by the way. Listen anytime, anywhere, wherever you download podcasts. Dow's up 250 and Tech Check's back in a minute. One more thing before we go, Coinbase surging after reaching the settlement with the state of New York over allowing customers to open accounts without sufficient background checks. They're paying a $50 million fine to regulators and investing another $50 million to bolster their compliance program. Other crypto-tied stocks, uh, Riot Blockchain, Robinhood, Galaxy Digital, also rising this morning, John, as we uh, sort of keep in mind uh, the regulatory slow-motion sweep that may take place over the coming months. Yeah, and it's not just the crypto connected. Interestingly enough, Affirm also up almost 10% at the moment. So, D, uh, across some of these popular fintech names, at least for the moment, you know, you, yeah. even PayPal is up almost 5%. There appears to be a bit of a surge heading I for guess. new. Does it? Does it last? It feels like a little bit of a respite. Um, when you look at Coinbase, though, yes, if you are an investor that wants to be playing in the crypto space, you want compliance, you want more transparency, uh, more regulation, Coinbase is your bet. But I guess at the end of the day, John, is it a particularly profitable business? You're not earning the same type of fees as you have in the past, no interest-bearing right. accounts, yeah. all those questions still surround it. Well, you know what is profitable is our lineup as we cover CES this year. <laughs> you don't want to miss that. Uh, tune in throughout the week. We're going to sit down with CEOs of AMD, Qualcomm, and CrowdStrike, as well as Amazon's SVP, Devices and Services, Dave Limp, Nasdaq's Adina Friedman. Is that, is that consumer technology? It is if you're trading, Carl. <laughs> yeah, and bespoke with some good data on how stocks, tech stocks, do pretty well during CES. Look forward to that. You've been listening to CNBC's Tech Check. You can always catch us live weekdays at 11 a.m. CNBC has quick and easy to understand business news updates at the open midday and close every weekday. Markets, money, and more from Wall Street to Main Street. I'm CNBC's Jessica Ettinger. Follow and listen to CNBC Business News Updates wherever you get your podcasts. <laughs>